2: Hello and glorious greetings to all of you out there. Welcome along to another edition of Attaboy Clarence. Yes, I'm here to peck away at your threadbare sanity again, so my apologies. In case you haven't seen it, the idea has become a reality. Yes, the very first Attaboy Clarence Film Festival is a go! It's all online, all free to access two days of online movie and entertainment screenings and all accessible from the comfort of your own homes. As you may know, one of the benefits of being a patron of this show is that we're able to hold monthly film club nights where my dear friends, co-producers and patrons all receive access to a screening room that they can access through the computers or mobiles or tablets or whatever else it is they use. In these rooms, the film plays simultaneously for all of us and we all chat along. It's a brilliant night each month and it works amazingly well. So what we're doing in April is bringing two days of curated classic movies and other entertainments to this very system that we're using every month. And we're throwing open the doors for a whole day so that everyone can come on in and join the fun. So this will be held on the 11th and 12th of April, times to be confirmed, but most likely it'll start early in the morning and go right through to late at night. All you need to do is click the link and you're in. We've got all kinds of film sections planned, such as Silent Chillers, Detective Classics, Cops and Robbers, Universal Horror, Pre-Code Gems. Full program coming very soon. There's even a live quiz show being planned where you'll be able to win instant prizes. Saturday the 11th is Public Access, so you can join in and out all day if you like. Sunday the 12th is Patron Day, so if you aren't signed up yet, now's a great time to do that as you'll get double the fun. More info to come over the next fortnight, but for now, save the date, the 11th and 12th of April, and we will see you there. Let's keep the spirits high and the energy are flowing, shall we? With some classic Calypso. Shake,
3: shake, shake, Sinora, shake your body liner. Shake, 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 Sinora, shake it all the time. Work, 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 Sinora, work your body liner. Work, 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 Sonora! Work it all the time. My girl's name is Sonora. I tell you, friends, I adore her. And when she dances, oh brother, she's a hurricane in all kinds of weather. Jump in the line, rock your body and time. Okay, I believe you. Jump in the line, rock your body and time. Okay, I believe you. Jump in the line, rock your body and time. Okay, I believe you. Jump in the line, rock your body and time. Okay, Work, 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 Sinora, work it all in time. Sinora, she's a sensation, the reason for aviation. And fellas, you got to watch it. When she wind up, she bottoms, she go like a rocket. Jump in the line, rocky body in time. Okay, I believe you. Jump in the line, rocky body in time. Heist star skirts a little higher. Jump in the line, rock your body in time. Off the chimney. Jump in the line, rock your body in time. Whoa.
2: Somebody got an A in their math test. That was Harry Belafonte with Jump in the Line. Now, for those of you in the market for a tale of daring do, but with a twist, I can highly recommend an excellent thriller I watched last week, I See a Dark Stranger, from 1946, starring Deborah Carr, Trevor Howard, Raymond Huntley, and Michael Howard. Below the main names, you also have a gallery of British greats, including Joan Hickson, who may well have been in every British movie ever made. The investigation is ongoing. You also have Torin Thatcher, Katie Johnson, even David Tomlinson pops up in there. You'll know him best as Mr. Banks in Mary Poppins.
4: An Isle of Man signpost outside a French town. That's odd. But we've started this tale at the wrong moment. It really began much earlier. It's the story of a very strange little character named Bridie Quilty.
2: Anyway, on to the plot. And it's a weird one, but stick with me. Deborah Carr plays Bridie Quilty.
3: Bridie McMahon!
2: Yes, there's no one Irisher than Bridie Quilty. Bridie McMahon! That is until you hear her accent.
5: Don't you dare bung the table at me, Terence Delaney. I've told you so I have till I'm nearly done with talking. The day I'm 21, I said, and I come my inheritance, I'll take the 1042 from Glendary Station I said to travel to Dublin, and that's exactly what I'm doing.
2: Scottish Deborah Carle there, being Irish, Bridie Quilty. Anyway, Bridie has spent her entire life listening to her father talk of how rotten the English are, and so when she comes of age, she decides to turn this resentment into action by travelling off to Dublin in order to do all she can to derail British war efforts.
5: I want you to get me into the Irish Republican Army. I beg your pardon. I want to join the IRA, please. I want to fight against the English the way yourself and father did.
2: She's quickly snapped up by visiting Nazi spy Miller, played by Raymond Huntley, who's been sent to Dublin to free a Nazi spy from prison. With the alluring British-hating Bridie... Bridie McMahon! ...on his side, how can he fail? Well,
5: they're taking Price to London on the 9.15 on Tuesday evening. Tuesday. They allow half an hour from the prison to the station, arriving 20 minutes before the train.
4: He wasn't suspicious?
5: No. Asked me what evening I could get off, said he couldn't manage Tuesday, and then told me the rest a bit here and a bit there.
2: You did better than I expected. I won't tell you any more than that. This was written, directed, and produced by Sidney Gilliatt and Frank Launder, the guys who wrote Hitchcock's The Lady Vanishes, Night Train to Munich from Carol Reed, and Green for Danger with Alice the Sim, which should give you a good idea of the kind of rollicking thriller with a comic edge to it that I See a Dark Stranger is. Like I say, it's a weird one in terms of tone. It took me a while to groove with it, for the reason that it has a real sense of nationalism about it. We're in the heart of Dublin, with a girl who hates the English, a Nazi spy who hates the English, and an Englishman who bobs along haplessly, being hated by everyone he meets. Then you have the Irish around them, who hate the Nazis, and the Nazis, of course, hate everyone. And so the whole plot, the whole plot, relies on how much each nation hates the other, and who will stop hating who first and do the right thing. If this was a straight thriller, then that would be another matter. People are supposed to be pitted against each other in thrillers, but this has that lightness of touch from Gilead and Launder that keeps it out of that field, and so it's a queasy experience to begin with that said it does find its feet quite quickly and once it's off it becomes a fairly breathless little thrill ride i especially like the places it decides to go to later there's a bit where Bridie suddenly finds herself with a body to dispose of and let's just say that the opportunity isn't wasted
4: nothing can save me it's short of an operation i know that there's a bullet inside me how do you know because it didn't come out i've left the worst to last the worst I'm afraid it's a trifle gruesome. But you see, if my body were found here, everyone would be under suspicion. You'd be arrested, perhaps shot.
5: What can I do?
2: Dispose of me. And this is another of those thrillers that doesn't let you relax into thinking that any of its main players are safe in their jobs. So to speak, everyone's at risk. Dress all of these elements up with some gorgeous Irish surroundings and fill the cast with the best of British talent and you end up with a really wonderful experience that takes a while to find its feet and set its tone. But once it's off, it really shoots for the stars. Do check out 1946's I See a Dark Stranger. It's knowing that your door is
6: always open And your path is free to walk That makes me tend to leave my sleeping bag Rolled up and stashed behind your couch And it's knowing I'm not shackled by forgotten words and bonds And the ink stains that have dried up on some lines Keeps you in the back roads by the rivers of my memory. Keeps you ever gentle on the mind. It's not clinging to the rocks and ivy planted on the columns now that binds me. There's something that somebody said because they thought we fit together walking. It's just knowing that the world will not be cursing nor given When I walk along some railroad track and find Moving on a back road by the rivers of my memory And for hours you're just gently on the line But well, I dip my cup of soup back from the girth and Called onions and train yards. My beard a rough and coal pile and a dirty hat pulled low across my face. Cup cans round a tin can, I pretend i hold you to my breast and find that you're waving from the black hole by the river. My memory, ever smiling, ever gentle on the mind.
2: Beautiful, that was Dean Martin with gentle on my mind. Wonderful. Now, some of you might be stuck indoors with family members who rub you up the wrong way for a few weeks. They might be demanding so-and-sos, and they might make your life a misery for a while, but thank your lucky stars that you aren't trapped inside a house with Sheridan Whiteside in 1942's The Man Who Came to Dinner. Sheridan Whiteside is a critic, author, and the nation's most feared and respected radio personality, and he's on a whistle-stop lecture tour across the country. Isn't it exciting? certainly is for Ernest and Daisy Stanley of Ohio, as they've been given the honor of hosting the man himself for dinner when he passes through their small town. Think
7: to think that this great man is coming to our house for dinner. Ernest, Ernest, aren't you thrilled?
4: Well, that depends. What are we having for dinner? Ernest... I'll tell you one thing. If he's going to shave at our house, he's not going to use my razor.
5: Oh, sure, somebody will hear you. Hello, Lonnie. Mr. Whiteside's beard is what makes him so distinguished.
4: It is, huh? Well, you just hide my razor for three days. Maybe I'll look distinguished enough to get $1,500 a lecture, too.
2: problem is, Sheridan Whiteside, critic, author, and radio personality, is not that enamoured about the idea of dining with the average American. In fact... The idea gives him indigestion.
8: I simply will not sit down to dinner with Midwestern barbarians. I think too highly of my digestive system.
2: His long-suffering assistant, Maggie, is determined to make Sheridan Whiteside-famed critic and author do his civic duty and spend a pleasant evening in the company of his adoring public. Did you
5: have a pleasant trip?
8: Charlie, I killed a woman in the next compartment. She asked me to lunch.
2: (laughs) But disaster strikes when Sheridan Whiteside, renowned critic, author and radio personality, slips on the icy steps of the Stanley homestead and breaks his hip.
7: Uh, Good morning, Mr Whiteside. I'm Mrs Ernest Stanley, remember? And this is my husband.
2: How do you, Mr Whiteside? I hope
8: you're better. Thank you. I am suing you for $150,000. How's that? Over oh, what? I said that I am suing you for $150,000. You mean because you fell on our steps, Mr. Whiteside? Thomas E. Dewey will explain it to you in court. Why are you standing there like the kiss of death? Oh, my foot jelly. Made from your own foot, I have no doubt. Oh.
2: There's nothing for it. Sheridan Whiteside will have to stay where he is. Stay put completely in the home of Mr. and Mrs. Stanley, their children, and the many small-town folks who drift through their lives from day to day. But what no one, no one, could have realized is that Sheridan Whiteside is a huge asshole.
8: Well, what do you want now, Miss Stomach Pump? There's nobody home! The Stanleys have been arrested for peddling dope! Go away! Mr. Whiteside, if I don't get this interview, I lose my job. Well, that would be quite all right with me. My great-aunt Jennifer ate a whole box of candy every day of her life. She lived to be 102, and when she'd been dead three days, she looked better than you do now. Doesn't that bird brain of yours ever function? He must be very happy. There's an octopus at the door. Good, bring him in. Now I'll have somebody intelligent to talk to in the evening.
7: What's the matter, dear? Cat got your tongue.
8: Don't look at me with those great cow eyes, you simpering sappho. Now, what would be the very best news that I could
4: possibly bring you?
8: You have hydrophobia. Oh, yes. Sir. And you'd better tell Sarah to order a couple of dozen lobsters. Yes, sir. I don't suppose there's any whale blubber in this town. Pat, good evening. Oh, yes, there is. Well, suppose I wait a little while. I'll wait a little while. Dr. Bradley is the greatest living argument for mercy killing.
9: Mr. Whiteside, I can only be in one
2: place at a time.
8: Well, that's very fortunate for this community.
2: There's your setup, and what a setup! Small town family with hearts of gold are forced to endure the company of a cerbic, snarky, and very grumpy celebrity. Or should that be the other way around?
4: Mr. Whiteside, I want to talk to you. I've stood all I'm going to stand. Ignore the interruption. For the past ten days, we haven't been able to call our souls our own. We haven't had a meal in this dining room once. I came home last week and found convicts sitting at my dinner table, drainpipe murderers, and now. Now, Please. I go into my bathroom and bump into two more. I tell you I won't stand for it no matter who you are. Have you quite finished? No, sir, I have not. This bill from the telephone company for $784, Oklahoma City, Rome, Calcutta, Hollywood, Buenos Aires, New York, New York, New York, New York, New York. But, Andy. Leave me alone. Mr. Whiteside, I want you to leave this house as soon as you can and go to a hotel. Stop poeing me, Daisy. That's all I have to say to you, Mr.
8: Whiteside. And quite enough, I should say, if you insist upon my leaving this house, thereby causing me to suffer a relapse, I shall sue you for every additional day that I am held inactive, which will amount, I assure you, to a tidy sum. This is outrageous! Outrageous! As for the details of your petty complaints, these gentlemen came straight from the White House, where, I assure you, they used the bathroom, too. No,
7: Mr. Whiteside, Ernest didn't... I did, too.
8: I meant every word of it. There's only one point you make in which I see some slight justice. I do not expect you to pay for my telephone calls, and I shall see to it that restitution is made. Can you provide me with the exact amount? I certainly can, and I certainly will. Good! I should instruct my lawyers to deduct it from the $150,000 that I am suing you for.
2: Look at this cast. I mean, talk about your star-studded extravaganzas. Betty Davis, Anne Sheridan, Monty Woolley, Billy Burke, Jimmy Durante, Grant Mitchell, Mary Wicks, Reginald Gardiner... Everyone plus the kitchen sink is in this thing. It looks great too. I have to say that watching this film really does remind you of the talents involved in the golden age. From everything from musical scores to glamour, stars, production design and charm. This has all of that in bucket loads. Is it just me or does Monty Woolley have really creepy, white, straight teeth? (laughs) They look so unnatural he is undoubtedly the star of this movie and yet he gets third billing behind the two lead actresses who were much bigger names at the time he was actually going to be played by john barrymore originally and i truly think that while woolly is great in this barrymore as sheridan whiteside would have been a performance for the ages however his capacity for remembering this amount of dialogue was severely hampered at the time and he didn't end up playing the part Apparently there's existing footage showing his screen test for the role, and by all accounts, it's a wonderful thing to see. It's a really great, really unexpected performance from Betty Davis in this. Rare to see her playing so unshowy a role, and yet she really is the anchor that pulls all the pieces together. It's written by the Epstein brothers, the guys who wrote Casablanca too, although overwritten, may be the word, is definitely too long. And when Jimmy Durante infiltrates the story later on, he makes it temporarily unbearable. His character is just annoying and so unnecessary. When I say long, I mean long. I mean all the pieces are in play, plot-wise, by the 45-minute mark. This thing could have wrapped itself up and been out of there within 65 to 80 minutes. No problem. Inexplicably, though, it decides to drag itself out for a further 70 minutes. Yes, this film is a whopping one hour, 52 minutes long. And I'm here to tell you that it should have been half that. It's kind of unforgivable, really. I get that the play was that long, fine. This is a movie, though. They're different, you know? They should have boiled this down to its essence and cut out the slack. If you're into it, then great. But personally, I found it got very repetitive in the second half. There's actually a gag at the end of the movie, in the closing moments, which suggests that everything you've just witnessed might be about to start all over again, and instead of laughing as the credits appeared, I scrambled for the remote to switch it off just in case it did start all over again. I have to say, I've been more impressed by William Keeley, the director, in the past. This is the man who directed some great Warner stuff, like Each Dawn I Die, Secrets of an Actress, Dr. Monica from last week, Bullets and Ballots, very dynamic stuff. This is pretty static. By comparison, when you film a play, you have opportunities. You can use the camera in all kinds of interesting ways. Keely's camera is pretty passive. And as a result, you never doubt for one moment that what you're watching is a play on film. That said, I did laugh several times out loud. I love Betty Davis and I love Monty Woolley in this. Creepy teeth and all. The charm of the thing is undeniable and it's certainly memorable. It's just way too long. Still, there are far more plus sides and negative ones. Check it out for yourself. That's 1942's The Man Who Came to Dinner. You know who would have been perfect in the role of Sheridan Whiteside, don't you? Clifton Webb. That's him. My goodness, if only someone had had the sense to cast the most acidic tongue sophisticate in the world in the movie. Well, that's exactly what the Lux Radio Theatre did after seeing Webb play the role on stage for a time. Add to this glorious prospect, Lucille Ball, in Betty Davis's role, and you have the makings of a classic. What's more, they fix the length issue by boiling down the plot to less than an hour. So, of course, we'll be going straight to that version right now. So remember, my beautiful friends... If we think we have it bad at our houses right now, then spare a thought for the poor old Stanleys of Ohio. See you afterwards.
10: Lux presents Hollywood. Lieber Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Flakes, bring you the Lux Radio Theater, starring Clifton Webb and Lucille Ball in The Man Who Came to Dinner. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley.
11: Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Some time ago, the famous team of George S. Kaufman and Moss Hart decided to write a comedy about a certain individual they called Sheridan Whiteside. So they began supposing... Suppose this eccentric character were to visit someone's home for dinner. And suppose he fell down the steps and, uh... Well, there you are. They had the so-called gimmick for their plot. The play born that day, they named The Man Who Came to Dinner. It had a long run on Broadway. And later, I had the pleasure of directing the screen success. In casting the part of Sheridan Whiteside, the problem is to find an actor who can at once be, uh charming and detestable. In short, a genius like Clifton Webb, who played the part for two years on the stage. And co-starring with him is a vivacious young lady who has quite a flair for comedy herself, Miss Lucille Ball. When a man brings guests to dinner, the average housewife is sure to think of those extra dishes to wash. But with Lux Flakes as a permanent member of the household, well, it isn't quite so discouraging. Unexpected guests are far more popular when Lux does the work. And now, here's the man who came to dinner... starring Clifton Webb as Sheridan Whiteside... and Lucille Ball as Maggie. Two weeks ago, an event of international impact... occurred in Massalia, Ohio. Sheridan Whiteside, celebrated critic, lecturer, radio orator intimate friend of the great and near-great, slipped on a piece of ice and fractured his hip. Result? The idol of the airwaves rests until further notice in the home of Mr. and Mrs. Ernest Stanley.
7: Oh, isn't it wonderful, Ernest? At last he's coming out of his room in a wheelchair.
11: Well, it's about time he decided to see some member of this family.
7: Oh, you can't blame the poor man for being cross with us, dear. You know, he just never goes to dinner anywhere. And then he finally agreed to come here, and this had to happen. Mm.
12: Here's the camp's foot Jelly you wanted, Mrs. Stanley.
7: Oh, thank you, Sarah. Just a little something to cheer him up, Ernest.
12: You know who phoned this time, Mother?
13: George Bernard Shaw. And look, we're all over Time magazine. Yes, dear, I saw it.
11: When do you suppose he's going to leave here? Phone going like mad day and night, messenger boys running in and out.
7: Pardon me, Mrs. Stanley. Oh, yes, Miss Cutler. (gasps) You mean he's coming out?
9: No, he is indeed.
11: You may wheel our little patient out, Miss Preen.
7: Oh, Mr. Whiteside.
11: I, uh, hope you're feeling better. I am suing you for $150,000. <laughs> How's
14: that? You, you,
11: you're what? I said I am suing you for $150,000. Uh,
7: oh, dear, my calf's foot jelly.
11: Made from your own foot, no doubt.
14: <laughs>
11: Mr. Stanley? Since this village quack who calls himself Dr. Bradley uh, tells me that I should be confined in this moldy mortuary for at least another ten days, due entirely to your stupidity and negligence, I shall require exclusive use of this living room as well as that drafty sewer you call the library. I want no one to come in or out while I am in this room.
7: Oh! But, Mr. Whiteside, we have to go up the stairs to get to our room.
11: Isn't there a back entrance?
7: Why, yes, of course.
11: Then but... please use that. Oh. I shall also require room for my secretary here, Miss Cutler. Uh, I shall have a great many calls, so please do not use the telephone. I sleep until noon and require absolute quiet throughout the house until that hour. Now then, where's your cook? Mr. Whiteside, if I may interrupt for just a moment... You please. may not, sir. And now, will you all leave quietly, please? Or must I ask Miss Cutler to pass among you with a baseball bat? Now, see here, Whiteside. There I... is nothing to discuss, sir. Considering the damage I have suffered at your clammy hands, I am asking for very little. A Good day. I'll call you from the office, Daisy. And not on this phone, please. Here is the luncheon menu, Mrs. Stanley.
7: Oh, but, but I've already ordered lunch.
11: It'll be sent to you on a tray. Oh. Miss Preen, get your fish hoof hooks off my wheelchair.
13: I happen to be a registered nurse, Mr. Whiteside, and, and I... Go know... and read
11: the life of Clara Barton and learn how unfitted you are for your chosen profession. <laughs> well, Mr. Whiteside, shall I look in again this afternoon? If you do, Dr. Bradley, I shall spit right in your eye.
14: <laughs>
11: oh, what a sense of humor you writing fellows have. <laughs> oh, uh, by the way, I, uh, I've i been doing a little writing myself. right. Mm-hmm. Just happened to have a copy with me. It's called Forty Years an Ohio Doctor. I shall lose no time in reading it, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Much obliged, Mr. Whiteside. don't forget our little pills.
9: Well, Sherry, I must say you've behaved with all your accustomed grace and charm.
11: Listen, Repulsive. I did not wish to cross this cheerless threshold. I was hounded and badgered into it. I now find myself, after two weeks of racking pain, accused of being without charm. What would you have me do, kiss them?
9: You know, when I finally give up this job, I too may write a book. A Cavalcade of Insult or Through the Years with Prince Charming.
5: Good morning.
11: Oh, no.
7: (laughs) My name is Harriet Stanley, Mr. Whiteside. I saw this holly framed green against the pine trees. It was the nicest present I could bring.
11: What was that?
9: Mr. Stanley's sister, I've talked to her a few times. She's quite strange.
11: Strange? She's right out of a hound of the Baskervilles.
9: <laughs>
11: you know, I've seen that face before somewhere.
9: No nonsense, you couldn't have.
11: Oh, well. Maggie, take a telegram. At Columbia Broadcasting. You may schedule my Christmas Eve broadcast from Stanley residence in Massalia as I shall be unable to proceed to Hollywood. Stop. For special New Year's Eve broadcast, we'll have as my guests Yosha Heifetz, Catherine Cornell, Scaparelli, the Lunts, and Albert Einstein with Haley Selassie on short way from Ethiopia, Whiteside.
9: Sherry, are you sure you'll be able to leave after Christmas?
11: Of course I will. Send a cable to the Dalai Lama, Lhasa, Tibet. Dear Boo Boo, (laughs) schedule unchanged. Can you meet me in Calcutta, July 12th? Dinner, 8.30, Whiteside. Wire Arturo Toscanini. Accounting on you, January 4th, Metropolitan Opera House, my annual benefit for paroled murderers. Will you have quiet supper with me and Ethel Barrymore afterwards? White House. Hello? Who? Mrs. Stanley is too drunk to talk. Well, what's this?
9: A cable from that dear friend of yours, Lorraine Sheldon.
11: Well, can't you read?
9: Sherry, my poor sweet lamb. Have been in Scotland on shooting party with Lord Bottomley and only just heard of your poor hip. Sailing Wednesday, Queen Mary. Cannot wait to see my poor sweet Chetty. Your blossom girl, Lorraine. In the words of the master, I may throw up.
11: <laughs> Don't be bitter, puss. Just because Lorraine is more glamorous than you are. Here, give me the rest of those cables.
9: Lorraine Sheldon, Lord Bottomley, my Aunt Fanny. Ah, uh,
11: here's one from Destiny's Top.
9: Oh, yes, England's little rover boy, Beverly Carlton. He's leaving Honolulu, be in Hollywood next week.
11: Hollywood next week, eh? Mm-hmm. Oh, why couldn't he stop here on his way out to New York? Uh, send a cable, uh, Beverly Carlton, Royal Hawaiian Hotel, Honolulu... If these people intend to have their friends use the front door...
9: Well, what do you want them to use, a rope ladder?
11: I will not have a lot of mildewed grave robbers rushing in and out of this house.
9: Good morning, Sarah.
11: There's nobody home. Miss Stanleys have been arrested for dope peddling. Go away. Good morning, Mr. Whiteside. Maggie, get rid of him. Get I'm rid of Jefferson him. I'm Jefferson of the Massalia Journal.
9: Sherry, I told you about Mr. Jefferson. He wants to interview you.
11: Oh, yes. The fellow who's been squiring you to the movies. Uh, what do you do, Mr. Jefferson? Sit in the balcony
9: playing footsies with her? Hmm. Uh, well, I warned you about him, Bert.
10: Uh, pass me that box of goodies, will you please? You know, Mr. Whiteside, you're the biggest news to hit Messalia since the end of the war.
11: Hmm. He can butternut fudge. <laughs> Robert Whiteside.
13: Time for your pills, Mr. Whiteside. Oh, my, you mustn't eat candy. It's very bad for you.
11: Miss Preen, my great-aunt Jennifer ate a whole box of candy every day of her life. She lived to be 102... And when she had been dead for three days, she looked better than you do now. Oh. <laughs> now, uh,
10: now, what were you saying, old fellow? Well, I can at least report to my readers that chivalry is not yet dead. Now, what do you think of Missalia? How long are you going to be here, Mr. Whiteside?
11: A. Missalia is a town of irresistible charm. B. I cannot wait to get out of it. And C. I. Sherry,
9: Sherry, go- look who's here. Oh, blast. It's Metz, Professor Metz. Metz,
11: you incredible beetle hound. <laughs> Jefferson? Behold, one of the great men of our time, Professor Adolf Metz, the world's leading authority on insect life. Metz, stop looking at me adoringly and tell me why you're here. You are sick, Sherry, so I come to cheer you.
9: He doesn't deserve it, Professor.
11: Would you believe it, Jefferson? He's written eight volumes on the mating instinct of the female white ant. Lived two years in a cave with nothing but plant lice. Didn't you, my little hookworm? (laughs) You embarrass me, Sherry. Look, a little present for you. Open it up. What is it? All for you. Here in this box are 10,000 cockroaches. Incredible. Oh, dear, thoughtful, incredible Mets. (laughs) Look,
10: my friend, they play, they make love, they die. See? They even bury their own dead.
9: Well, I'm glad of that or I'd have to do it.
10: (laughs) And with these
11: earphones, Sherry, you listen to the mating call.
9: Here, you listen.
11: Hmm. How long has this been going on?
9: Did I hear the word cockroach? Take hey, a look, Mrs. Stanley. Ten thousand of them. They're it.
11: mine. Everyone mine. Mr. Whiteside,
7: <laughs> I will not stand here and allow you to And then to go have...
11: back upstairs. <laughs> uh, Mets, you will stay for the day, of course. Uh, stay for lunch, Jefferson. Uh, Maggie, tell the cook there'll be two more. And close the door. I don't want a lot of prying people prying on their betters. Mm. I want to talk to you. I am busy, Mr. Stanley. I'm listening to my cockroaches.
7: <laughs> now, Ernest. Ernest, don't lose your temper, dear. I tell
11: you, I've stood all I'm going to stand. Indeed? I have just received a bill from the telephone company. Long distance calls, $984. Mr. Whiteside, I realize you're a distinguished man of letters. Oh,
7: yes, but... of course, we both do. Please,
11: please. But ever since you came here, we have not been able to call our souls our own. I have to tiptoe out of the house in the morning. Now, Ernest. And I come home to find a man putting cockroaches in the kitchen.
7: Oh, no. They just escaped, dear. He was looking for them.
11: Have you quite finished? No. I go down to the cellar this morning and trip over an octopus that William Beebe sent you. And stop pawing me, Daisy.
7: Mr. Whiteside, my husband didn't mean that.
11: Yes, I did. I meant every word of it. You have one point in which I see some slight justice. I do not expect you to pay for my telephone call. How good of you, Mr. Whiteside. I shall instruct my lawyers to deduct it from the $150,000 I'm suing you for.
14: Oh, this is the end, Daisy. Simply the end.
11: And I'll thank you not to trip over that octopus which once belonged to Chauncey M. Depew. Oh, well, have have you two come to scold me, too?
13: Gee, Dad's sure mad, isn't he, Mr. Whiteside? Good, 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 good evening, Mr. Whiteside.
11: Now, look here. I am by nature a gracious and charming person. If I err at all, it is on the side of kindness and amiability.
13: Well, we we just didn't want to bother you, Mr. Whiteside.
11: Well, been out ice skating, I see. That's right, Mr. Whiteside. Ah, me. I used to cut figure eights myself, arm in arm with Betsy Ross, waving the flag behind us.
13: <laughs> oh, it was wonderful on the ice today. Miss Cutler and Mr. Jefferson were there, too.
11: Maggie, skating. And I got a swell picture of her. You see, I'm kind of an amateur photographer, Mr. Whiteside.
9: That he is, Sherry, that he is. Well, have a nice nap while I was gone. Come on, June, we'd better get ready for dinner. Okay. Well, cat got your tongue, Sherry?
11: Don't look at me with those great cow eyes. Where have you been all afternoon? Necking with Bert Jefferson?
9: I've news for you, Sherry. We have a genius in town.
11: Yes, I know,
9: I'm talking about Bert, and I'm serious. He's written a play. It's great, Sherry. And here it is. I want you to read it tonight.
11: Any further orders, miss?
9: It just cries out for Catherine Cornell. Sherry, if you like it, will you send it to her? And please, you will read it tonight?
11: Not tonight or any other time. And you might ask Mr. Jefferson if you'd like to pay your salary now that he's taking up all of your time.
9: Oh, come now, Sherry. It isn't as bad as that. You
11: flea bitten Cleopatra. Sneaking out like some love sick high school girl. You're out of your mind.
9: Yes. Yes, I think I am a little. Anyway, I'm in love. While Mr. Jefferson doesn't know it yet, I'm going to try my darndest to marry him. Is that all? Yes, except that, well, I suppose this is what may be called my notice.
11: It's incredible. 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 Swept off your feet in seven days by a second-rate small-town newspaper man.
9: I can't explain it, Sherry. I can only tell you it's so. Here I am, a hard-bitten old cynic, behaving like True Story <laughs> magazine and liking it. <laughs> what can I do about it, darling?
11: We're leaving tomorrow. Hip or no hip, we're leaving here tomorrow. I'll pull you out of this, Miss Stardust, it's if I have no to...
9: good, Sherry. I'd be back on the next plane. Oh, don't think I'm not grateful to you, but you don't know Bert. He's gentle. He's... he's unassuming.
11: I'm completely unconvinced. You are drugging yourself into this Joan Crawford fantasy. And before you become completely anesthetized, I should do everything in my power to bring you to your senses.
9: Now, listen to me, Whiteside. I know what a devil you can be. I've seen you do it to other people, but don't you dare do it to me. Don't drug yourself into the idea that all you're thinking about is my happiness. You're thinking of yourself a little bit, too, in all those months of breaking in a new secretary. I've seen you in a passion before when your life has been disrupted and you couldn't dine in Calcutta on July 12th with Boo-Boo. Well, I'm going to marry Bert if you'll have me, and don't you dare try any of your tricks. I'm on to every one of them, so lay off. And that's my message to you, Lord Fauntleroy.
14: Hmm. Well,
11: I have a message, too. Hello, long distance? I want to place a transatlantic call, please. Miss Lorraine Sheldon aboard the steamship Queen Mary. Sheldon. S-H-E-L-V-O-N. Well, well, good evening, Mr. Whiteside. Come back in all day, Dr. Bradley. I'm awaiting a most important telephone call. Now, what would be the best news I could possibly bring you? You've been stricken with hydrophobia. <laughs> Mr. Whiteside, you are a well man. You can leave here tomorrow. Well, sir, I looked at those little X-rays again this afternoon, and guess what? All this time I've been looking at the wrong (laughs) X-rays. You what? Yes, sir. All this time I've been looking at old Mrs. Moffat's (laughs) X-rays. Lower your voice, will you? But aren't you pleased? Oh, delighted, delighted, but... But your news comes at a very curious moment. Uh, Oh? uh, Oh, Dr. Bradley. (laughs) I've... uh... I've been reading your book, uh, 40 years, uh, something or other, I believe. Yes, Mr. Whiteside, yes. I consider it one of the great literary contributions of our time. Mr. Whiteside... It has its little rough spots, but, of course, if I was... I was hoping I could stay here in Messalia and work with you. Mr. Whiteside... But, you see, if... if my lecture bureau learns that I am well, they'll insist that I fulfill my engagements. Therefore, Dr. Bradley... We must not tell a soul. Not even my secretary, Miss Cutler. You understand? Not even my own wife, sir. Uh, Fine, fine. We can start work tonight. I've got one patient that's dying, and then I'll be perfectly free. (laughs) I think uh, tomorrow morning may be better. Oh, uh, this is a private call, doctor. Uh, You'll forgive me. Tomorrow morning it is? Uh, Yes. Oh, you've made me very proud. Uh, I'm so glad, yes. Proud, sir. And humble. Yes. Uh, Hello? Uh, Good, good. Uh, Put her on. Hello? Is this my Blossom Girl? How are you, my lovely? Now listen closely, my pet. I've discovered a wonderful play for you. Cornell would give her eye teeth to do it, but I think I can get it for you. Now wait, wait, let me tell you. The author's a newspaper man here in Messalia. No, he's young and just your dish, my dear. Now it uh, it may take a little doing, but uh, you're the girl who can do it. Isn't that exciting, my pet? Yes, yes, that's right. Now, look, look. Don't send any messages. Just get here. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Goodbye, my blossom. (laughs) Well, Miss Geraldine Preen. My, but you look radiant this evening.
13: What? Mr. Whiteside, at times I... Well, I simply don't understand you. May
9: I see you a moment, Sherry? Of
11: course, Maggie, dear. We're just taking our little pills.
9: Sherry, I'm sorry for what I said before.
11: We all lose our tempers now and then.
9: I promised to have dinner with Bert and go to a movie, but we'll come back and play cribbage with you instead. Fine,
11: fine. And we'll
9: see you soon, Sherry, dear. No hurry,
11: pet. No hurry. (sighs) I...
7: A it's a wabbit in the sunshine. <laughs> I just say it's a wabbit in the way.
10: Before our stars return with Act Two of The Man Who Came to Dinner, here's Libby Collins, our Hollywood reporter, with a poser for you, John.
1: What famous star wears fuchsia stockings with fuchsia and chartreuse shoes in her latest picture?
10: A uh, dancer?
1: Mm, you're warm. She starred with Victor Mature and Phil Harris in a 20th Century Fox production. And her lovely legs are
10: famous. Oh, Betty Grable, of course, in Wabash Avenue.
1: Right. Oh, her costumes are ravishing in technicolor. She had dozens of nylons in exquisite shades made especially for the role. They cost $9 a pair.
10: Wow. I guess Victor and Phil are glad they didn't foot the bill. Or did I steal a pun from Phil? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: the studio saw to it too, that Betty's nylons were handled with loving, Lux care.
10: A good idea for nylons at any price.
1: You're right. Of course, Betty's a Lux Flakes fan from way back. All her own lovely nylons are washed with wonderful luxe. It makes them last ever so much longer.
10: Dancing practice for Wabash Avenue must have been hard on Betty's stockings.
1: Indeed it was. But Betty gets wonderful wear even from sheer nylons. After all, scientific strain tests show that nylons last twice as long with Lux Flakes care.
10: It's amazing how stockings go into runs much sooner when they're washed with strong soaps or rubbed with cake soap. Lux stockings last twice as long.
1: And colors stay truer.
10: Well, I'm sure the smartest nylons in the Easter parade will have that lovely Luxe look. Now, here's our producer, Mr. William Keeley.
11: Act two of The Man Who Came to Dinner, starring Clifton Webb as Sheridan Whiteside and Lucille Ball as Maggie. Well, Maggie's in love, but Sheridan Whiteside hasn't the slightest intention of losing a very valuable secretary. He's counting on a real expert to break up the romance, Lorraine Sheldon. You and Miss today, the day before Christmas.
9: Just look at these Christmas presents, Miss Cutler, all for Mr. Whiteside. Well, Sarah, you see, Christmas is Mr. Whiteside's personal property. He invented it, and it belongs to him. My land's from Shirley Temple, Mr. Belvedere,
12: gorgeous George. (laughs) And Mr. Whiteside's tree is so beautiful, too. Mr. and Mrs. Stanley had to put their Christmas tree in their bedroom, you know. They can hardly undress at
14: night.
12: (laughs) What's this one, Miss Cutler?
9: That's from his sponsor, Sarah. A full year's supply of cream of mush. (laughs) And he'll give it right back to them over the air. (sighs) The things he finds time to do. Yes, he certainly sticks his nose into everything. Everything.
12: Uh, Miss Cutler, you haven't seen the family, have you? Aren't they upstairs? Well, I mean the young ones.
9: Nobody seems to know where they went after Mr. Whiteside talked to them. Oh, Christmas shopping, probably. Well, if I'm going downtown, I'd better let him know. Sherry, may I come in?
11: Come in, Elsie Dinsmore.
9: That must have been quite a session you had, Sherry, with the Stanley heirs. What did they want?
11: Good sound advice, Madam Butterfly. And they came to the right place for it.
9: You know, June thinks she's in love with some fellow in her father's factory. He's a labor agitator, Sherry. She admits it. And Richard, well, he wants to quit high school and go around the world. Really? Sherry, you didn't agree with... Oh, well. Since you don't need me, I'm going downtown to meet Bert.
11: You're free to go as come as you please, dear.
9: The radio men may get here before I'm back. Better start cutting the script, Sherry. What time does Beverly Carlton arrive?
11: Shortly, I hope.
9: Staying over?
11: No, no. He has to go on to New York.
12: I won't be long, Sherry. Another package for you, Mr. Whiteside. Only it's a crate, Mr. Whiteside, with an expressman. Come in,
11: my good man. A
12: crate, eh? Some kind of animal, Mr. Whiteside. The label says it's from... From Admiral Richard E. Bird.
11: Why, they're penguins. Oh, look at them in there, Sarah. Directions for feeding are right on top.
12: It says... To be fed only whale blubber, eels, and cracked lobsters.
11: They got seven up this morning and liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Just look at the little fellows. How are you, my pretties? Uh, Sarah, you better order a couple of dozen lobsters. I don't suppose there's any whale blubbery, Miss Haley. Well, well, Merry Christmas. Oh, yes, there is. <laughs> Take the crate, Sarah, and open those slats a little. They seem so crowded in there. You
12: bet, Mr. Whiteside.
11: Mr. Whiteside, it's been a full week now. My book. When are we going to start on my book?
12: Mr. Whiteside, they're getting out of the crate. Uh,
11: doctor, will you go in there and capture them, please? Cockroaches again. Uh, uh, penguins, four of them. Oh, and uh, uh, try to amuse them, uh, please, until I come in. <laughs> Who is this, Sarah? Who's at the door?
14: Lorraine,
15: my blossom girl oh,
14: darling,
2: <laughs>
15: look at that poor, sweet, tortured face Let me kiss it How drawn you are Sherry, my sweet, I could cry
11: All right, all right You've made a very nice entrance, dear Now just relax
15: <laughs> But, Sherry, darling, I've been so worried In seeing you in this wheelchair
11: It happens to be the most comfortable chair in the house Now, uh, take off that skunk and tell me everything
15: darling i'm so relieved you look perfectly wonderful i just dashed through new york
11: now don't be coy blossom girl i want to know all about you and that splendid splendid bit of english mutton lord Bottomley. have you hooked
15: him sherry dear you're dreadful
11: by the way has he had his teeth fixed yet
15: sherry really cedric may not be brilliant but he's rather sweet poor lamb and he's very fond of me and he does represent a kind of english way of living that i like so don't be surprised if I am Lady Bottomley before very
9: long.
11: Lady Bottomley.
9: Mm.
11: <laughs> Won't Kansas City be surprised? <laughs> I should be a flower girl and give the groom an iron toothpick as a wedding present. Mr. Whiteside. What? No, no. Go away. I'm busy. Oh. Psst, psst, psst. Who's
15: that?
11: He's fixing the plumbing. Mm. <laughs>
15: now, what about this play, darling? After all, I came all the way here on Christmas Eve. Well,
11: at the author's a young fellow named Bert Jefferson. He brought the play, the play to me, with the understanding that that I'd send it to Kit Cornell. It's a magnificent part, and I feel terribly disloyal to Kit. But there you are, oh,
15: darling. How can I ever thank you? Uh, did he know I was coming, Mr. Jeff? No,
11: no, no. You're you're just out here visiting me. Just get him to take you to dinner and work around to the play. Good Lord! I don't have to tell you how to do these things. How'd you get all your other parts,
14: Sherry! Now
11: run back to your hotel and get into your working clothes. <laughs> By the way, who do you think's paying me a flying visit? None other than your old friend, Beverly Carlton.
15: Beverly? Oh, really?
11: Come, come, my dear. Mustn't be bitter just because he got better notices than you did. Oh,
15: don't be silly, Sherry. I simply would not care to act with him
11: again, that's all.
9: Sherry, Sherry, what do you think? Bert just gave me the most beautiful... Oh, Maggie, darling.
11: Sam has been at work, my pet. Blossom girl just dropped in out of the blue and surprised us.
9: Hello, Lorraine.
11: Oh, uh, is that you, Bert? Uh, Lorraine, this is Mr. Burt Jefferson, Miss Lorraine Sheldon. How do you do, Miss Sheldon?
15: I didn't catch the name. Jefferson? Now
11: that's right, Pat.
15: Why, well, <laughs> Mr. Jefferson, you don't look like a newspaper man at all. I, I don't? No, I should have said you were a pilot, an explorer, something dashing. I'm simply enchanted with your town, Mr. Jefferson. Tell me, have you lived here all your
14: life?
11: Well, practically, Miss Sheldon. If you wish to hear the story of his life, Blossom Girl, kindly do so on
10: your own time.
15: He's the world's rudest man, isn't he? Can I drop you, Mr. Jefferson? I have a taxi. Well,
10: my car's out there. Suppose I drop you.
9: That'd be lovely. Bye, Sherry. Bye, Maggie, dear. Sherry. Sherry, I want to
11: talk to you. Hmm? Oh, yes, yes, the broadcast. Uh, Four minutes to cut you, said...
9: Quite a surprise, wasn't it, her dropping in?
11: Yes, yeah, yes, yes, it was. Now, come on, Maggie, come on, get to work.
9: How long is she going to stay? Oh, I
11: don't know, a few days. Now, look here, Maggie, just because a friend of mine happens to come out to spend you Christmas got with me... You've more
9: company, Mr.
12: Whiteside. He's a perroner. Sherry, my dear, and a magpie. Beverly! Come in here,
11: you piccadilly pen pusher, and gaze upon a soul in agony. Don't tell me how you are, Sherry, dear. I want none of the tiresome details. I have only a little time. the conversation will be entirely about me, and I shall love it. Maggie, dear, say something beautiful to me. Hi. As for you, Sherry, without going into mountains of self-pity, how are you? I'm fine, you presumptuous cockney. Now tell me, how was your trip? Fabulous. By the way, did I glimpse Lorraine Sheldon in a motor car just now?
9: You did indeed. She's paying us a Christmas visit.
11: Dear girl, they do say she set fire to her mother, but I don't believe a word of it. (laughs)
9: Sherry, my evil one, Not only
11: have I written the finest comedy since Moliere, but also the best review since my last one and an operator that frightens me. It's so good. I shall play it for eight weeks in London, that's all. No matinees. Magpie, why don't you desert this cannonball of fluff and come with me? Be careful, Beverly. You're catching me at a good moment. Tell me, Beverly, uh, did you have a good time in Hollywood? Three unbelievable days. I saw everyone from Adrian to Zanuck. They came, poor dears, as to a shrine. What about Banjo? Did you see my wonderful Banjo? He gave a dinner for me. I arrived in white tie and tails to be met at the door by two bewigged flunkies who quietly proceeded to take my trousers off. Dear, incomparable Banjo. Now, Mr. Whites. No, 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 just go away. Kidnap somebody, Sherry? Yes, that was Charlie Ross. (laughs) Of course you know about uh, Lorraine and Lord Bottomley. Know about it, dear fellow. Practically no one's betting on the derby this year. They're all making book on Lorraine. Have you ever met Lord Bottomley Magpie? Not a very good shooting today, Blast it. Only six partridges for four grouse and the Duke of Sutherland.
14: <laughs> <laughs>
11: good Lord, that's Bottomley to the very bottom. <laughs> a, ripping, a, a ripping debate in the house today. Old Basil spoke for, for, for four hours. Dropped dead at the end of it, whipping. <laughs>
14: oh.
9: Oh, oh, oh. oh, you're making it up. No one sounds like that. Oh, it's
11: so good it's uncanny. Kenny, oh. darling, I must run. I can only tell you that my love for you is so great that I changed trains at Chicago just to wish you a Merry Christmas. If that's the radio people, Maggie, get rid of them.
9: Hello. Oh, hello, Bert. Oh, uh, well, hold on. Beverly, would you talk to a newspaper man for just a minute? I sort of promised him.
11: Won't have time, Magpie, unless he cares to meet me at the station. Oh,
9: thanks. Go to the station and wait for him, Bert. He's leaving now. Bye, dear.
11: Broadcasting tonight, eh, Sherry? Fortunately, I shan't have to hear you. Au revoir, Sherry. Merry Christmas, Magpie.
9: I'll go to the door with you. And start cutting that script, Sherry. What's the matter, Magpie? I'm in love, Beverly. I can't tell you about it. There isn't time. But Sherry, in his own fiendish way, is doing everything he can to break it up. Why, the old flounder. What's he doing? Lorraine. He brought Lorraine here. I know he did. Oh, it's somebody here in town. Yes, the newspaper man you're going to see at the station. He's written a play and Sherry's using it as bait. And you know Lorraine. She'll eat him up alive. What do you want me to do, Magda? Oh, get Lorraine out of here. The farther away, the better. But how? I'm leaving. Well, I, I know it may sound silly... But if you were to phone Lorraine from the station, that imitation you do of Lord Bottomley... Magpie, but I'd love it. I'd
11: absolutely love it.
9: Tell her you can't go on without her, that she must return to England immediately. I can't wait. It's pure hell. <sighs> well, it probably won't work, Beverly. But if she should fall for it, maybe I've got a chance all. Oh, hello, Lorraine. Hello, dear. Where's Sherry. Inside. He goes on the air in a few minutes. That's quite a gown, Lorraine. Going anywhere? This? Oh, I just threw on anything at all. Uh, uh, Who does your hair, Maggie? A little French woman named Maggie Cutler comes in every morning.
14: <laughs> you
9: know, your hair could be so lovely. I always want to get my hands on it.
14: <laughs> I've always
9: wanted to get mine on yours, Lorraine. What? Oh, by the way, what time does Beverly get here? He's been and gone. Really? Well, I'm very glad. You know, I was a perfect wreck by the time our play closed.
15: All during that tender love scene, he kept dropping peanut shells down my dress. (laughs) I would like with him again if I was starving. Excuse me.
9: Hello? Yes? Miss Lorraine Sheldon. Yes, she's here. Uh, Me? The operator's getting your party. Transatlantic, London. Transatlantic here? How in the world? Hello? Hello? Cedric? Oh, you darling.
15: Why, well, What a delightful surprise. Darling, if you don't talk so fast, you won't stutter so. Ah, oh, that's better. It's just like you were just around the corner. <laughs> what? Oh, darling. Oh, my sweet. Oh, my darling. See, de- dearest, would you wait just a moment, Maggie? Would you mind? It's Lord Bartomley, a very personal call.
9: No, not at all, Lorraine. Not at all.
15: Yes, my dearest. Well, I'm married. Oh, yes. Yes, a thousand times, yes. Uh, Darling, darling, you're stuttering again.
9: What? And I think the least you could do, Sherry, is to congratulate her. Lord Bottomley has just asked Lorraine to become Lady Bottomley. Isn't it simply ecstatic? Naturally, I shall have to leave at once.
11: Am I to understand from your girlish squeals... That uh, you are about to toss your career into the ash can...
9: Isn't it strange, Harry? Who would have thought an hour ago that Lorraine would be on her way back to London?
11: Shut your nasty little face.
14: <laughs>
11: I'm a violent headache. Hello, everybody. Say it's snowing outside. Go and have a real old-fashioned Christmas. Why don't you telephone your scoop to the New York Times?
9: <laughs> Bird, Miss Sheldon has to leave town very suddenly. Isn't that a shame?
11: Oh,
10: no bad news, I hope.
9: Oh, wonderful, enchanting news, Mr. Jefferson. Hmm.
10: Uh, anybody admired my Christmas present yet, Maggie?
9: Oh, dear, I forgot. Look, everybody, to me from Jeff. Maggie, what a charming bracelet. Isn't it sweet, Chad? Will
10: this drivel never stop? My head is bursting.
9: Why don't you mix us a drink, Bert? We'll celebrate Lorraine's good news.
10: Fine, fine. Oh, by the way, I had a two-minute interview with Beverly Carlton. He's quite a guy, Mr. Whiteside.
9: Uh, just run along, Bert, and fix I was drink. lucky
10: to even get two minutes. He was in a phone booth most of the time. Phone booth?
9: You'll find the liquor in the pantry, Bert, down that Couldn't way. Couldn't hear
10: a word he was saying, Mr. Whiteside, but from the faces he was
11: making, it looked like a scene from one of his plays. So Mr. Carlton was in a telephone booth at the station. I didn't think he'd ever come out.
9: Bert, will you please?
11: Uh, yes, and uh, make mine a double, will you, Jefferson? <laughs> My headache seems to have suddenly disappeared. Come along,
10: Maggie. Better show me where the pantry is.
15: Good old Bert.
11: He couldn't hear what he was saying, but from the faces he was making.
15: Oh, Sherry, what is this? What's going on here?
11: Uh, Blossom girl? You have just played the greatest love scene of your career with your
15: old chum,
11: Beverly Carlton. <laughs>
15: That's not true. I was talking to Cedric. What do you mean? I
11: mean, that was Beverly you poured your girlish heart out to, not Lord Bottomley. <laughs> You've heard him do Lord Bottomley before, haven't you, dear? But,
15: yes, yes, of course. But why would he want to do, do such a thing? This is one of the most. <laughs> oh, no. No, the cat, the absolute unutterable cat, the dirty rotten louse. Why, I'll take.
11: Steady, Blossom, steady. <laughs> no!
15: you realize I won't ever be able to show
13: my face in England
15: again. But why? Why would he do this to me? It doesn't make sense. It... Maggie? Yes, Lorraine? I think I'm beginning to understand everything. <laughs> yes, Maggie, that's a very charming bracelet, that Mr. Jefferson gave you, isn't it, dear? Has something upset you, dear? And to think that I nearly went back to, what? <laughs> Wild horses couldn't drag me out of here now, Maggie?
11: We're almost ready, Mr. Whiteside. On the air in two minutes.
15: Oh, who is he? I
11: just what on the radio, Mr. man? Mike again, Harry. Uh, here comes the Jefferson special.
15: Uh, have we time? Oh, well, I'm sure we have, Mr. Jefferson. I'm not leaving after all my plans are changed. Oh, that's fine. And I hear you've written a simply marvelous play, Mr. Jefferson. I want you to read it to me tonight. We'll go back to the hotel right after dinner.
10: Why, I'd, uh, I'd be delighted. Maggie! Why, I'll bet you arranged this whole thing. Well, it's the finest Christmas presents you could give me.
9: Yes, I thought you'd like it. Oh, it's no use. I'm getting out of here.
11: Is he in there? Is Whiteside in there? Not now,
9: Mr. Stanley. I'm about to go on the air.
11: Whiteside. My son has just run off on a freighter. He says he's going around the world to take photographs. And my daughter's eloped with a with an anarchist. I know he is, and they both say that you... That you told them to do it. Quiet, please. How do I dare ask? you? This is the most outrageous I thing I've ever. Oh, I see you're still busy. Without a doubt, you are the most <laughs> impossible man I've ever heard of in For my heaven life. For heaven's sake, quiet! quiet. Scott, stand by. Oh, thanks, Sherry. Quiet, please! Good evening, everybody. Cream of Mush brings you Sheridan Whiteside. This is Whiteside speaking. On this Eve of Eves, when my own heart is overflowing with love and kindness.
14: <laughs> I think it is most
11: fitting to tell you once again... the story of that still and lustrous night... nigh unto two thousand years ago. Before we continue with Act Three of The Man Who Came to Dinner... I'd like to introduce English-born Joan Miller, who comes to the screen by way of the stage and her own radio program. How does it feel to be a guest instead of an MC, Joan?
0: Wonderful, Mr. Keeley. Fortunately, I don't get night fright or stage fright either. Mm,
11: not like the drama student played by Jane Wyman in the Warner Brothers picture Stage Fright, huh?
0: Well, I nearly had it during my first movie role. However, a wonderful director talked me out of it.
11: Not Alfred Hitchcock?
0: No, though I'd give anything to work under his direction. No, I see all his pictures three or four times.
11: Stage Friday's Hitchcock at his best. Mystery and suspense in the light-handed manner for which he's famous. <laughs> a splendid cast, too. Jane Wyman, Marlena Dietrich, Richard Todd. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, after the filming, I saw some of the original costumes in the wardrobe department at Warner Brothers. They're fabulous. I was amazed how many had been washed with Lux flakes. Of course, I'm a Lux fan myself.
10: You'll find Lux Flakes in many a Screen Star's <laughs> home, too, Joan.
0: Oh, I'm sure of that, Mr. Kennedy. One day in Jane Wyman's dressing room, I complimented her on her lovely new negligee. You know, then Jane can confess that it's been luxed many times. She insists on Lux Flakes for all her lingerie.
10: That's not surprising. In test after test, slips and nighties that were washed with luxe flakes looked lovely. Yes, really lovely three times as long as those washed the wrong way. You've seen, I'm sure, how careless washing can make lingerie disappointingly drab. It's no wonder thousands of girls follow the stars, give all their nice things gentle Lux flakes care for that lovely luxe look. Thank you for coming tonight, Joan Miller. We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
11: curtain rises on act three of The Man Who Came to Dinner, starring Clifton Webb as Sheridan Whiteside and Lucille Ball as Maggie. It is now, some 15 hours later, Christmas morning in the Stanley household, and a very quiet morning it has been until now.
14: Miss
13: Preen? Yes, sir, yes, sir, I'm coming.
11: Where do you disappear to all the time, my lady Norsia?
13: Mr. Whiteside, I can only be in one place at a
9: time. That
11: is very fortunate for this community. Now, where is Miss Cutler? She hasn't gone?
9: I'm sure I don't know. Not yet, but she's just about to. I'm taking the one o'clock train, Sherry. I'm leaving.
11: You're doing nothing of the kind. Honestly, Maggie, sometimes you can be very annoying.
9: You know, Sherry, in a way, you're really quite wonderful. You're annoyed. I wish there was a laugh left in me. Shall I tell you something, Sherry? I think you are a selfish, petty, egomaniac who would see his mother burned at the stake if that was the only way he could light a cigarette. (laughs) I think you are incapable of any human emotion that goes higher than your stomach, and I was the fool of the world for ever thinking I could trust you.
11: Well, as long as I live, I shall never do anyone a good turn again.
10: I won't ask you to apologize, Maggie, but Merry Christmas, everybody. I suppose I'm a little drunk, Maggie, but I can explain everything. Mr. Whiteside, shake hands with a successful playwright. Miss Sheldon thinks my play is wonderful. Isn't that wonderful?
9: Yes, that's just wonderful, Bert. Oh,
10: but there's more. Miss Sheldon says the play needs a a little bit of fixing, so she's going to take me to a little place she's got in Lake Placid. We'll work on the play together. Isn't that wonderful? Look,
11: Bert, I suggest you tell us all about this later. Now, why don't you... I thought if I came early, Mr. Whiteside, we could... Oh, excuse me. Uh, Dr. Bradley, I think Mr. Jefferson would like some black coffee and a little breakfast. Will you take care of him, please? But what about
10: But my... You never had champagne for breakfast, did you, Doc? Well, today's the day you got it.
11: Now, then, Maggie, I'm willing to forgive your tawdry outburst and uh, talk about this thing calmly.
15: Oh, Sherry, why did you do it? Why did you do it?
13: Merry Christmas, Miss Putnam. <coughs> Merry Christmas, Miss Harriet. Merry Christmas, Mr.
7: Whiteside. Dear
11: Miss Harriet, Merry Christmas.
7: I'm afraid I shouldn't be seen talking to you, Mr. Whiteside. My brother is terribly angry at you sending off the children like you did. But I just couldn't resist asking you, did you like my Christmas present?
11: Forgive me, I haven't opened it.
7: Oh, but it's right here, Mr. Whiteside. Wouldn't you like to open it now? Of course.
11: A photograph. Why, it's lovely, Miss Harriet.
7: I was 22 when that was taken. Well, I I should be late for church. Goodbye.
14: Goodbye. Goodbye? Ah! No! Let me go! Let me go! I me go! love you, Banjo! 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 It's Banjo! Hello, my son! Is it
11: time for
14: this package?
11: Banjo, put that woman down. That's my nurse, you menjo delinquent. I'm my
13: room for half an hour, girlie, and bring some rye bread.
11: Whiteside, I'm here to spend Christmas with you. Give me a kiss. Get away from me, you Hollywood nitwit.
14: (laughs) How did you get here?
11: Daryl Zanuck loaned me his reindeer. I'm on my way to Nova Scotia, and where's Maggie? Now, where are those wonderful brothers of yours, and how are they, Slopo and Wacko? And what are you going to Nova Scotia for? I'm sick of Hollywood, and there's a dame in New York I don't want to see, so I figured I'd go to Nova Scotia and get some good salmon. Banjo, I'm very glad you're here. As for Maggie, I'm very annoyed with her, very... She's turning me like a viper, repaying my affection by behaving like a fishwife. I never believed for a moment she was really in love with him. In love with who? I just got here, remember? Great Scott, I'm telling you. A young newspaper man here in town.
10: Well, what do you know? What kind
11: of a guy is All he? All right, shut up and listen, will you? Well? Well, Lorraine Sheldon happened to come out here and visit me. Lorraine here? He's written a play, this young fellow. You can guess the rest. He's going away with Lorraine this afternoon to rewrite. <laughs> so there you are. Maggie's inside there, crying her eyes out. Wait a minute. I smell a rat, Sherry. All right, all right. But I did it all for Maggie's own good. Oh, sure. You haven't thought of yourself in years. Well, <laughs> I got Lorraine out here, and I've got to get her away. But, but how? It better be good, Sherry. That Lorraine's no dope. The trouble is, there's so little time. There must be some way out. There must be. I'm too hungry to think. Excuse me while I look for the kitchen. Tell Sarah I said you're mad, but quite harmless, and hurry back. <laughs>
13: I have packed my bags. I'm leaving. I'm through.
11: You realize, Miss Preen, that this is completely unprofessional?
13: I do indeed. I am not only walking out on this case, Mr. Whiteside. I am leaving the nursing profession. (laughs) I became a nurse because all my life I was filled with the idea of serving suffering humanity. After one month with you, Mr. Whiteside, I am now going to work making hydrogen bombs.
11: And what if Florence Nightingale... If Florence
13: Nightingale had ever nursed you, Mr. Whiteside, she would have married Jack the Ripper instead of founding the Red Cross. Okay, Mrs. Banner, you're left. Oh, Mr.
7: Whiteside. Mr. Whiteside, we've just found June. Oh, thank heaven. Thank heaven. June, my little baby, you're not married, are you? No, Mother, I'm not. And please don't be hysterical. Oh, June, that awful boy, working for your father and trying to blow up the factory. Yes,
11: Mr. Whiteside, your plans for my daughter have gone a trifle awry. As for my son, he's been apprehended in Toledo and will be returned here within the hour. Not having your gift for invective, I cannot tell you what I think of your obnoxious interference in my affairs. But I have now arranged that you will interfere no longer. You may come in, Sheriff. Please call off your bloodhounds, Mr. Stanley, before you strain my patience. These two men have a warrant by which I am able to put you out of this house. And I need hardly add that it will be the greatest moment of my life. And that means bag, baggage, wheelchair, penguins, octopus, and cockroaches. Now I'm going upstairs to smash our radio, so that not even by accident shall I ever hear your voice again. Sure you don't want my autograph, old fellow? You have just 15 minutes, Mr. Whiteside. Well, Whiteside, I got a pretty fair omelet in the kitchen, but no idea. It's no use, Banjo. My host has sworn out a warrant. Baby's rosy little body is being tossed out into the snow in 15... In 14 minutes. What would he do a thing like that for? The point is, the master is growing a little desperate. Hey, if I knew where Lorraine was, I could get a car and run her over. It wouldn't hurt very much. Banjo. (laughs) Banjo, for heaven's sake. Wait a minute. Hmm? Is that a taxi outside? Yeah, it's Lorraine. What would happen if I just went out there and slugged her? Get out of here, Banjo. Go and talk to Maggie for a minute. And don't let her leave
5: here. Darling,
15: I was just swept off my feet by the play. And you know, quite apart from anything else, Bert is really a very attractive man. Hmm. It makes it rather a pleasure squaring accounts with little Miss Vitry.
14: <laughs>
15: that is not Banjo, with it? Don't tell me he's here.
14: Sweetie
15: Bert, how are you? Very well, thank you. And you, Banjo?
12: Oh, fine, my mommy, you're fine. So you feel fine, huh, Lorette?
9: Yes, of course I do. Excuse me, Sherry. I've been getting your papers in order. Here's a list of all your engagements through March. I'm looking forward, so to Lake Placid, Banjo. Bert's the kind of man
15: who'll do all winter sports beautifully.
11: But will he get time?
12: Expressman here, Mr. Whiteside, another present for you. Good heavens, what is that
15: thing? First it was Penguin's
11: Lady, and now it's this. It's a mummy case from Cairo, Egypt. If there's one thing I need right now, it's an Egyptian mummy case. What's the tag say?
10: Merry Christmas from the Khadiv of Egypt. What'd you send him, Grant's tomb?
11: Six minutes, Mr. Whiteside, including that.
15: And who was
14: that man?
11: He announces the time every few minutes.
15: (laughs)
14: I pay him
11: a small sum.
14: Oh, Mr. Whiteside, are you
11: busy? Oh, no. I've written a new chapter on the left kidney, and I... Oh, pardon me, I didn't know you had to...
14: <laughs> You know,
15: I think this mummy case is rather beautiful. Just think, Sherry, this mummy case. Here was a woman like myself. A woman who once lived and loved... Full of the same passions, fears, jealousies, hates. And what remains of it now? Just this, nothing more.
11: Going somewhere,
4: honey?
15: I want to stand inside. Look at me, Sherry. A span of 4,000 years. And here I am. Another woman living out her life. I want to cry.
11: Whiteside, I think I've got an idea. Yes, so have I. (laughs) (laughs)
14: Well, what about...
11: Don't move, don't move, my dear. Don't even talk. Just stand there, my Blossom. There's something about your expression as you stand in that case like... like a halo.
15: Why, Sherry, how sweet.
11: Lorraine, dear, in this single moment you approach the epitome of your art. You have given me the greatest... Christmas gift of all, the memory of you standing here in this mummy case.
15: Why, darling, I'm all choked up.
11: Make sure it's locked, Banjo. You think she'll be all right in there? Sure, she can breathe easy. I'll let her out as soon as we get on the plane. What are we going to do now? How do we get this out of here? Shh, careful. Here's Maggie. What
9: about all these letters, Sherry? What about
11: this photograph? Oh, Miss Harriet gave that to me. Uh, Throw everything else away.
9: I'll see you before I leave, Banjo. Oh, what happened to Lorraine?
11: She just stepped out for a moment, dear. <laughs> Banjo. Hmm. This photograph. Look at this photograph. I've got it. It came to me just like that. Huh? It came to you? I knew I'd seen that face before. Harriet Stanley, eh? Well, now I know how to get this mummy case out of here. Sorry, Mr. Whiteside, you're 15 minutes around. Ah, yes, Mr. Stanley. But uh, just one favor before I go. I would like you to summon your two policemen and ask them to help this gentleman out to the airport with this mummy case. Would you be good enough to do that, Mr. Stanley? I will do nothing of the kind. Oh, I think you will, Mr. Stanley. Or shall I inform my radio audience next week that your sweet old sister, Harriet Stanley, is none other than the famous Harriet Sedley, who murdered her mother and father with an axe 25 years ago in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Mr. White. How did that little jingle go now? Oh, yes. Harriet Sedley took an axe and gave her mother 40 whacks. And when the job was nicely done, she gave her father forty (laughs) what?
14: Officers, will you come in, please? Mr. Stanley
11: would like you to help him with this mummy case. Right, Mr. Stanley? Yes, yes. Manjo, my love, you're wonderful. I may write a book about you. Don't bother. I can't read. Goodbye, Maggie.
9: Hey, don't drop the case, boys. It contains an empty. Sherry, what did he mean? Oh, no, you don't mean the Lorraine. He is
11: indeed. Oh? <laughs> the field is clear, and you have my blessing.
9: Oh, Sherry, Sherry, you old reprobate.
11: My had and coat, Maggie. Oh, and I'll take your railroad tickets. I'm leaving for New York.
9: You're leaving? Don't
11: argue, rat girl. Do as you're told.
9: Yes, Mr. Whiteside. Are you very busy, Mr. Whiteside? Ah, yes,
11: Dr. Bradley, very busy. (laughs) But if you ever get to New York, doctor, try and find me. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, Maggie, my lamb. Oh,
9: Sherry, you're wonderful.
11: Yes, aren't I? Oh, Jefferson, my boy. I've decided to take your play to Catherine Cornell after all. You'll never know the trouble you've caused. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, Mr. Whiteside.
9: Oh, look at him, Bert. There goes the most. Ah! Wa- oh!
10: Yes, dear, there he goes, right on his celebrated ear. Oh, oh
12: Whiteside! <laughs> Mr. Whiteside! He fell down again. Uh, Poor Mr. Whiteside uh, slipped on the ice again. Bert, help him! Help him carry
14: him in! Miss
11: Preen, I want Miss Preen! Miss Preen! As for you, Mr. Stanley, I am now suing you for $350,000. <laughs>
2: And that was the peerless Clifton Webb and Lucille Ball in The Man Who Came to Dinner for the Lux Radio Theatre. Wonderful and mercifully brief. Well, that's kind of all we have time for in this edition. Thank you for joining me. Just a quick heads up. If you've been itching to hear the new secret history of Hollywood series Carrie which is Carrie Grant's life story, then the first preview goes out to patrons in the coming days. I've just recorded it and the preview is about an hour. So if you're interested and want your first taste, then do make sure you're signed up there. Signing up also gives you instant access to about three or four hundred hours of other bonus audio material, including the recent Attaboy special I did on Tom and Jerry and their history. Over 60 Attaboy Clarence bonus shows, including last week's, in which I presented my new old-time radio mystery obsession. It's an amazing anthology series of golden age mystery thrillers, and it is incredible. You'll also get to come to our monthly film club nights, and of course, you'll get access to both days of next month's Attaboy Clarence Film Festival. For more details, go on over to patreon.com slash attaboysecret or listen on to the end of this show. I'll be back with this show next week, but until then, take extraordinarily good care of yourselves. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews and e-books, and every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. Thank you.